Welcome back to Conscious Sedation. This is shift number seven. We hope you have listened to one, two, three, four, five, and six <laughs> if you haven't. <laughs> Press pause right now and just go on back and get our listens way on up in the sky. Hey, y'all. Hey. I'm like, are <laughs> like, y'all going to talk to the people? Or you just sound like I'm in here. Intro, I thought. Sound like I'm in here by myself, <laughs> just imagining that I have friends. Okay. We're yeah. here. This is Ryan. What up? That's Tiffany. She's on today. I don't <laughs> the, know what she is on. The nation over it there. It might be the hat. I mean, never mind the fact that there's a, a ball on top like a little child, but hey. she is on one. Hey. Mm-hmm. Tiff. I like right. my hat. No, hashtag Kansas. Okay. And that throws us right into our hashtag. So, what y'all hashtag from last week? What y'all got? Well, my hashtag from last week is hashtag so you can't steal off of me. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that was done by Miss Tiffany when Tasha had stolen her uh, mindful <laughs> moment. <laughs> when she getting ready to do again. And so I thought that was so funny. I also have hashtag come with me when Tiffany was doing uh, her mindful moment (laughs) and she couldn't think of what she was saying so she just said come with me now (laughs) y'all come on with me as I figure this out what I'm about to say so that was funny to me (laughs) that's that's funny because it was the music it is the mindful the music makes you say that stuff it It makes you go real zen I mean it was perfect come with me What you got? You going first, so I can't Thank possibly you, steal it. off you this My time. hashtag was that we're back. I was so excited that we were recording again. Felt like we hadn't recorded in forever, so I was glad that we were back. And it was funny to me that we were bumbling through the uh, freaking uh, handles at the end. Everybody was like, was it, so was it done? Uh, didn't know nothing. <laughs> All of our social wow. media. Our social of media. Us. So we will get it right this episode. You will know exactly where to go to find us. No question. Let us pray. It is it's <laughs> my firm intention to get this right on the first try this we week. We get it. We get it. But it, I mean, really, all y'all got to do is search conscious sedation anyway, and we're just going to pop right on up. So, you know, why, why are we doing this? Why are you putting us through this kind of trauma? Just search us, and we'll be there. All right? You know, we got to get at people what they need. Mm-hmm. Direction. We live, in, right. we live in a, in a time where you have to spoon spoon feed people and spell it out and spell it out. Hand it to them on a platter. <laughs> Hand it to them on a platter. All right. So since we're talking about this, and I'll do my <laughs> hashtag after this. Our social media links and contacts are conscious underscore sedation on Instagram. You can search conscious sedation on Facebook, mm-hmm. on Twitter at get to date at 705. And our email is get to date at 705 at gmail.com. So please Twitter. look us up. That's it. Yeah. Oh, did you say Twitter? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't hear that one. I did. Where are you then? Say it again. Say it again. At <laughs> get to date at 705. One more time. Ryan in the back. <laughs> Right, for the cheap seats at Gensonated705. <laughs> All right, my hashtag for this week is hashtag PCP and not the fun kind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> We're talking about primary care physician. <laughs> Tiffany, why are all the hashtags coming from I you don't this know. Week? I am because I you did a say bit. PCP. Like, <laughs> well, that was what was her name? It was right before PSA. PSA. Yes, PSA was her. It was right before P. It's all about the P. It is. It's strong P. 
You know what? Your your mind went left right this there. This could go down. Yeah. <laughs> Body D. This could go down a very That definitely different. should have been a hashtag. Hashtag. <laughs> I thought <vitamin> you were <laughs> D. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were See? going to use that. No, I be trying to spread the love. I mean, I know I'm always funny, but I be wanting everybody to know y'all funny too. All right, oh, let's move uh, right on <laughs> to our mindful <laughs> moments right, because we like to um, take a little time and exercise our gratitude muscles. So we're going to have a little moment of mindfulness. And who wants to go first? What are we mindful of this week? Mm-mm. Well, mine is an error because I was thinking I was going to be mindful that I ran this morning, but I didn't. So, wow. so, so much for that. Wow. I'm just going to be transparent and say I was going to run and I didn't. So I'm mindful that I can run. But hey, hey, hey. that's where I'm at today. Yes. <laughs> Took those lemons and made lemonade. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you, <laughs> the art of having a mindful moment. Hey. When you're not even really being mindful. That, when your mindful moment goes wrong. <laughs> when it goes right. left. Right. I was like, oh, I didn't even run. Goes oh. Let me turn this around. Don't worry. If you didn't run this week, you can run tomorrow. That's, That's right. right. As long as you still have function of your limbs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right on. Right? What you mindful of this week? I actually, it's kind of weird i am my my mindfulness moment this week is um willful or intentional gratefulness like um in spite of everything that goes on around us we always have something that we can be um thankful for and so um sometimes you can be in such a terrible situation or you can be in um you know your spirits can be so down or um you can feel so distraught or whatever in a dark place or whatever um and and sometimes we have to will ourselves um be purposefully thankful for something even if it's something small and so i'm thankful that i have been in a place where i can do that i can um i can be purposefully intentionally thankful um I had a birthday last week. I didn't even say nothing on shift six. And I feel like trash. My birthday was quiet on purpose. I didn't say anything on purpose to anybody or didn't want to really celebrate on purpose. Um, I have found in my life, about to be transparent, um, in the last like two or three years, I seemingly get depressed like around holidays. Um, and this, I feel like, is the first year that I noticed that I was kind of depressed around my birthday. Um, and so I just really felt like I was just in a dark place. I just didn't want to, I mean, I wouldn't listen now. I didn't need to be on suicide watching that. I don't want nobody, <laughs> I don't want nobody calling the people on me. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't that dark. I just felt kind of down. Um, but I still found ways to be thankful. I still found things to be thankful for. And so that is my mindful moment. Yay. Um, today I am mindful of Facebook Live. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, because I've had intentions on going to kickboxing, cardio kickboxing for the last two weeks. But it is at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so daytime hours and me just kind of don't agree especially not on the weekend where you feel like that's your time to really sleep in if that's what you want to do or not you know whatever but getting up at 8 a.m to go work out 
is like a double, not negative, but <clears throat> a double whammy, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, so the guy who teaches cardio kickboxing has been live streaming his class. And so this morning when my alarm went off and I turned it off, I did keep my phone in my hand and was scrolling through Facebook and I saw that he went live. And so I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna get my ass up and I'm going to follow along with his class in my living room. And I did exactly that. And so I was really proud of myself for getting up um, and getting moving and trying to... um, make some deposits in the direction that I want to go as far as my body goals and stuff like that because it doesn't make any sense for me to be like, oh, I feel this kind of way and I'm not doing anything to make the you know necessary changes. So, Facebook Live made that possible and yeah, so I'm mindful of that and my own motivation, kind of like, you know, you Ryan, like the whole fake it till you make it sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like, okay, I may not feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway until it becomes something that I actually enjoy. And while I was doing it, I was just like, man, like this time went kind of quick or whatever. So, you know, it felt good. Good. Yeah. So yay me. Yay you. I know. (laughs) If I had a little board, I would check that right on off. Give myself a point. Mm -hmm. Grade yourself. Yeah. Grade yourself. One out of two. Give myself a grade. At least, that's at least an A, right? It may not be an A plus because I didn't actually drive there, but I did. Road but you did it. Get, yeah, that's better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's better than mine. I was wishing. I um, right on over. All right, so it's time for reports. Inbox um, report. Yeah, our Ooh. inbox report. Send your questions and emails to get sedated seven zero five at gmail dot com. We have a question, a couple questions this week. One we should have answered last week and. You know, I totally was a miss to remiss, not a miss, remiss, to not mention that. I meant to and had read that, but it had been a while since we taped, so we were a little bit rusty. Um, So, Tiff, you want to go ahead and tell us what our inbox report is this week? All right. So, part one, uh, can you please discuss the importance of a six-week exam? Um, and the relationship to like annual and PAP exams. I decided to forego them with this pregnancy. How necessary are they? So here I am (laughs) as both Mm -hmm. a mom and a maternal child health nurse and I cringe at the thought of a mother um, experienced or first time mom. It does not matter to me. You need yourself in the doctor's office for your six-week visit. It is so imperative that you see your doctor. I mean, when having a baby is not a small thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you have a vaginal delivery or a C-section or whether you had a OBGYN or a midwife. You need to have yourself into your provider's office for a six-week checkup to make sure that everything has gone back to its rightful place, <laughs> to make sure that you are healing property. Sometimes women have um, lacerations and they're... Um, After they have a delivery, we need to make sure incisions are healing well. We need to make sure that breastfeeding is going well if you're a breastfeeding mom. Um, And that is the time that you do that. Also, a lot of times at the six-week checkup is where you get your okay to have sex (laughs) if you're able to do that. Sometimes doctors have to delay that um, if you're not healing well. That's also where you may get your birth control. 
if you are choosing to have birth control, um, you know, to space your pregnancies out, which is recommended that you do space your pregnancies out. And so, um, again, I'm cringing that you didn't go to the doctor after you had your baby. Um, so, yes, it is very important to answer your question. It is very important. It is um, completing the care. Um, if you think about having a baby, that is not where your care ends. Your care ends at your six-week um, follow-up visit. And that's when you can feel like you are um, done with, with that type of care, that OB care. Mm -hmm. Also, I think that brings to mind, too, our conversation about primary care and how when you are seeing an OBGYN during the course of your pregnancy, you usually will see the same person, and that kind of takes the place of your primary care physician, and you um, have an opportunity to build that relationship or bond. And so at that six weeks is a great point, like Ryan said, for them to assess like from where you started, which would be baseline, to where you are now as far as your body changes, but also your mental changes, because we know about um, baby blues and postpartum depression and things like that. And if the doctor sees you walk in and, you know, things just may not be going well, this might be an opportunity for you to have that conversation that you need concerning whatever it is you might be feeling. And if you have circumstances where, like, say you had a different chronic illness, and the doctor had to switch up your medication because of your pregnancy. Maybe the pregnancy would have been harmful to your fetus or your baby. You might want to look at going to that visit to kind of transition back onto whatever medication you were taking prior to stopping that. Um, and that's where you're going to get that counsel. Otherwise, it'll be missed or foregone. So, yeah, thank you for that question. What was the next one? Too? Um, part two has to do with kind of body odor. So kind of kind of body odor, almost body odor. So shift three and four, we did have some discussions about um, having like a fresh vagina. Do having, what you won't do. And uh, having good smelling <laughs> breath. <laughs> and so... Uh, this person is asking the body can be pretty temperamental um, when exercising. Are there ways to detox the body or detox certain areas um, that aren't, uh, aren't always our friends? Um, so they have hashtag two to three showers a day, <laughs> hashtag too cute to be funky. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> Um, I think we have unrealistic expectations of our bodies within our society here in the U.S. I think we've become intolerant of what the body does and is supposed to do. Um, you have sweat glands and there's dirt on your skin. And once you sweat and it mixes with that dirt or bacteria, oils, whatever it is, oils, oils, you tend to have an odor. Well, years and years and years ago when people didn't shower every day and use perfumes and soaps and things like that there were also pheromones well we still have pheromones the, well we do still have pheromones but my what i'm getting to is that that was a very important process in bonding and mating and things like that and so um we become less tolerant of those things because there's an order an odor but there is a reason for all of that um, additionally, I feel like a lot of times, um, of course, you have your own regular biology that's going to play into whatever your odor is or things that you may be using on your body that just doesn't agree. And so you may have to pay attention or transition to a more natural sort of soap or deodorant or whatever 
Um, and then your diet is important. If you eat a bunch of onions when you sweat, your ass don't smell like onions. You know, or like people who eat a lot of curry or turmeric or whatever, those things come out in their glands and sweat and all of that stuff. So you kind of got to pay attention to those things and then just give yourself some room to be human. It's regular. People sweat and they sink. So what? Especially when you're working out. So two things to add. (laughs) One um, is that, yes, after you work out, you do have to take a shower, though. Like, yeah, you're going to stink. But yeah, you take a shower. Sometimes even if I don't work out, um, especially in the warmer months, Mm -hmm. I find myself taking two showers a day. Um, that's just kind of what you got to do. Yeah. Not even so much to get the stench off, but you feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're sweaty, you're sticky, you know, you just don't feel as, um, you don't feel well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you, when you stink. And then, um, I will piggyback on the pheromone comment and say that, um, I mean, I think pheromones still exist, and I think that they still do play a very big part in mating. Um, Mm -hmm. I know, me as a mother, I know each of my children have a different scent. I can smell their stuff. Um, (laughs) I know who pooped in the bathroom because they have different smells. And so, too, can I, um, you know, smell my partner? They have a specific scent. Um, I say they like I got a whole bunch of them out here. (laughs) Look, judging my mom. Judging my mom. A little bit of clarification. (laughs) Coming right up. But no, um, you know, he smells, he has his own little smell. So. Go ahead, fix it. Go ahead, make it work on it. They, he, it's them. Hey, judging my yolo, yolo out here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was too funny. I say they. You heard yourself right in the middle of a very serious moment. I actually so look. So here's why I had to clean it up a little bit. One, because I was saying they, because I was speaking about every no. Well, now I switched to talking about partners. But I was saying they because I'm really trying to blanket it to talk about everybody, everybody's partner. But then you know I got stalkers <laughs> who be listening to the podcast, <laughs> and anything that I say that they might think it I might up. could be talking about them, you know it comes up like oh, oh so you was talking about me the back end of an argument. But actually no, bro. You'd be like, I actually wasn't even oh, thinking about oh, you so in that fair moment. Mom. So okay. Yeah. okay, all right. See? See? Yes, I had to try to, had to have to clean it up. You know what I'm saying for the people who be trying to bring it back later when it don't have nothing to do with you. Anyhow, hashtag they. Hashtag they. <laughs> there we go. That's hey. a good one. Yes. Hey. Hashtag pimping ain't easy, <laughs> especially hashtag when you got a podcast. <laughs> I have to Get make this shift private. Can you yeah. limit the? Can you limit the audience? On we can this? maybe ban some people <laughs> from the page, but like block a few. You know. Can you block people? Whatever you need to do. All right. Did you make it to your point no, or not? The point is. <laughs> Yes. So don't be so concerned with how you smell because you may think that you might be offensive, but your partner may be attracted. Now, listen, we talking about remotely, like not like you super duper funky. Right. But Mm -hmm. I'm saying they may that's don't be over consumed with how you smell, you know, Mm -hmm. because your partner might be like, that's cool. That's you. It's Mm -hmm. you. And if they, you know, they love you. So. 
But some people find it attractive. Like I've saying, heard yeah. that some guys will be like, "Hey, girl, I want that after you just came from the gym." <laughs> now, me myself personally, because <laughs> I need all the identifiers on this one. Me myself, and I'm grabbing air. Me myself personally, <laughs> I am not no. there in any sense of the word. And even if my you're not there to give after the gym or to receive after the gym. <sighs> Um, to receive is something different because that's your choice. Like, if you want to go there, I mean, I might be a lot less fun, trust me, because I'm going to be in my head. I'm going to be thinking about, man, like, I smell myself. You might catch it with yourself. Or, like, there are times where you're just outside, especially during the summer months, and then you come inside and you're like, ugh, I smell like outside. That's the thing that black mamas put in your head. What but you, but mean? it is. But it is a truth. I know, but it's the only people thing. who say that. Okay, but it's a, we are smart and we put a, a name to that. Outside, your outside. ass smell like outside. Out, outdoors. Okay, you okay. smell like outside. Get do something. Get your ass out of my kitchen. Smell like outside. It, listen, cause we do. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like for me, mm-hmm. and I'm a smelly. I don't think I'm well. Fix it. <laughs> he might beg to, <laughs> to differ. I can, I'm a smelly person, especially during and around my menstrual cycle. Like mm-hmm. when those hormones are really going, mm-hmm. I'm more sweaty, more smelly. And mm-hmm. I'm definitely a sweaty person when I work out or if it's just hot, I am sweaty. And so, yeah, I mean, I just tend to kind of be a a sweaty person, especially if I'm working out hard. And so that's an expectation of mine. And so I'm one of those people that I don't bother showering before I go work out or putting on a deodorant or anything like that Um, because it's just an expectation. Like I'm very uh, compassionate to myself as it pertains to that and I fix my own expectations. I know that I'm going to sweat. I know that I may have an odor, but like Ryan said, as soon as I get home, I'm not just laying around, especially if I'm in the presence of someone else. I am getting in the shower as soon as I can stop sweating long enough for it to matter because I'm one of those people that'll keep sweating in the shower, (laughs) making me feel dirty still. You know what I'm saying? So I will try and cool down and then get in a shower and remedy whatever that is. But if I had somebody that was like, oh, my God, you stink. Don't even come in the house. I might be like, really? Like people stink, especially when they work out. So, you know, just have a little bit of self-compassion and have some compassion to your mate or your partner. Definitely. In that situation. Do you want them to be a fat ass or you want them to be a little bit smelly after they work out? I was getting ready to say, especially when they're trying to do something to take care of themselves and better themselves. How are you going to be? judgmental because she went to work out or he went to work out miss me do you want that tight body or not you want these abs (laughs) i got a two liter but hey (laughs) you gotta get (laughs) i gotta get i got a two liter but seriously it's whatever it's all good it's either that or i'm gonna blow up you, you I can't. All right, so to the choice kind of answer our question. All right, so but in, if you're fat, you're be in conclusion, too. we got pheromones are good. Uh, some body odor is okay, and just be mindful of how you smell. Like um, everybody knows, you have certain odors at certain times, and um, to be mindful of when those things change is good because um, that can help you know if you got some growing down there, some yeasties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Hey, yeasty beasties. Some yeasties. It's not really that cute. I'm not saying it's cute, but she said it so calmly too. If you got some yeasties, if you have some Some yeasties, something. Uh, That's the word. You can have stuff popping off down there. It is real life. Hey, hey. You can have stuff popping off down there. So yeasties, bacteria, whatever. You need to be mindful of when those smells change so Mm -hmm. that you can get checked out. That's true. As far as the detoxing question, I don't think anybody really answered that. Um, We got caught up. We did. But just to remember to kind of flush your body out with water. Water, a lot of people forget water intake is important. So you can, that's just a natural way to flush Mm-hmm. flush the bad out of your body especially when you're sweating you have to mm-hmm. replace you have to those places mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then there are other like um foods that are good for detoxing and um replacing antioxidants and things like that so um if you're looking at alkaline foods green leafy vegetables um a lot of people talk about this whole the lemon juice and the, which is acidic but lemon juice and apple cider vinegar and things like that that push all of those bad things, toxins and things that you don't want to your cell walls and out of the body. Um, berries have a lot of antioxidants and um, low in calories, low in sugar are actually really good for you. And then there's topical detoxers that I've seen before. Like I've recently, people have been detoxing their armpits. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And doing like a scrub Mm -hmm. kind of to keep the smell and things like that away. So, I mean, you can try those things. I would say try them judiciously because not everything is going to work for everybody. B, it can be costly. And C, you don't want to get into a place where you hurt yourself. Or your, your body has like a reaction to some of these things that you put on your skin. Because I felt like at one point I was doing the cayenne pepper, mm. the lemon juice, mm. and the apple cider vinegar thing like in the morning. And when I tell you, I don't know, I feel like I burned a hole in my esophagus. Like I had this bulbous feeling in the middle of my chest like there was a chunk of meat or something like that stuck in my chest and I will not go close to that mixture ever again in my life. I would and think it would burn when you went to pee too. No. It, you know, yeah. Like the none of those happen. Acidity. Neither of those happened to me but this feeling in the middle of my chest I felt like was directly correlated and then as a woman knowing that heart symptoms and things like that mm-hmm. translate kind of weird. I was in the ED. Like, mm-hmm. hey, help me. You know, something's not right here. And it was that. In my mind, it was that. Because essentially, I mean, eventually it went away. Hmm. And I felt better. But, yeah, be careful when doing some of those detoxing things and stuff that we all find on the Internet. And, you know, just kind of be wise about that. Mm-hmm. Anybody else got anything else? I don't. You know, no. people say eat pineapples or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Beyonce. we're not going down that road again. <laughs> you said what? Um, Beyonce. Beyonce. Oh. She had y'all out here getting juices and whole pineapples. <laughs> and that wasn't even what <laughs> That was something totally about. different. Y'all out here getting these fruits. And- hey, but, but we are what you eat. Like, well, you say that. What you eat, yeah. you are what you eat. Yeah. And it changes your body down to the cellular level. It definitely does different things in your body. So there are things and, you know, I'm pro food as medicine, kind of. There are things that you can do 
with your diet that will remedy a lot of the problems or what we consider to be problems or modern day illness ailments and definitely illnesses that could be fixed with your diet so I'd rather you suck on a piece of pineapple for whatever reason. Your motivation may be different than <laughs> grabbing a snicker. You know what I'm saying? Y'all's brains are all what? up in the Nobody gut. Nobody in the gut. Bring them. I'm in the gut. <laughs> we know you are. All in they? there. They. All in there. We they. Women. <laughs> women in the gut. You know, you know what, Master Splinter? <laughs> Get you. Okay. Hashtag them. Let's get into the topic today. Um, we're going to talk about organ donation and um, what it is, what the process is, some of the fears surrounding ethics and yada yada. So Tiffany, why don't you go ahead and start us off and let us know what, what is organ donation or what does it mean to donate your organs and tell us a little bit about what the process is like. All right, so flipping the switch to the morbid. Um, yeah. No transition. Right. No. Transition. All right, hey. <laughs> so let's talk about those organs that she'll give us when you're dead. So We want all of them. All of them. Anything that you can give us. So organ donation is kind of a sticky subject. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding it, but it's actually it's actually not a bad thing. So organ donation, most people know um, the easiest way to sign up to be a donor is at the DMV um, when you're getting your driver's license renewed or getting a new one. Um, the process with that is becoming a little bit different um, because now a lot of states are moving towards legislature that makes that a binding legal document. Oh, okay. So there's something that's called first person consent. And in the event that you were no longer able to speak for yourself, but your driver's license noted you as a donor in certain states, that would supersede the wishes of your family. Wow. So uh, I know Missouri is one of those states because I worked in Missouri, but on the Kansas side, this didn't exist. So crossing those state lines, you had cases where um, that driver's license spoke when the family disagreed. So to be mindful of that, a lot of people are just like kind of at the DMV and they're like, yeah, that's cool. I'll be a donor, but don't realize um, the state that they live in that may hold up and your family may not be aware. Um, so that's kind of something mindful with the organ donation. How uh, it typically works, we'll kind of get into a little bit later. But um, in the hospital setting, there's a couple of different categories that can classify a patient for organ donation. Kind of the most controversial one is uh, that of brain death. A lot of people kind of have a, and a lot of healthcare professionals too, have a lot of, um, there's a lot of gray area there. Um, Slippery slope yeah. possibilities. There, um, there's specific criteria within that hospital, within the specific donor network about what classifies as brain death and what testing goes to confirm that. Um, when those tests are complete, then there's typically um, a time of death at that time. So a lot of people don't understand that, that when the physician tells you that that patient or your loved one is brain dead, that is their time of death from that time forward. So technically that patient has passed. 
Um, but a lot of people get confused, especially in the ICU setting. There's ventilators, so that person appears to still be breathing. They still have vital signs on the monitor, so it appears that that person's still living. Um, but in the clinical sense, they are dead at that time. Okay, so um, a lot of the famous cases that you see in the news where people are talking about like pulling the plug on someone that has been pronounced um, and then the family's kind of hesitant to do so because they do still see, quote, signs of life. Um, but the crucial thing to remember is that those signs of life are present with artificial means. So we're providing those signs of life that you see. Um, so they're is a brain death um, where the organ uh, donation can occur um, in the operating room. Then there's also um, what's called donation after cardiac death, which is DCD. So this occurs after kind of all of our artificial means are withdrawn. And then within a certain amount of time when the patient passes, then um, the organs are donated that way. Um, and then there's also kind of some more uh, different types of like indirect direct that uh, Ryan um, was going to talk about those. Can I ask a question about the mm -hmm. um, the brain death one? The tests that they do to confirm that are the the family members at the bedside because you know like a lot of times during a code it used to be that we would rush everybody out of the room if they have family members there or whatever and we've kind of moved to a place where if you're going to code some someone Let they will do stay. it with the family in the room just so they can kind of see what their loved one is going through I guess um, and so if they had to withdraw some kind of care they would be a little bit more understanding about that so do they do those tests like I know the pain thing is a big one and mm -hmm. um, eye stuff mm -hmm. um, a lot of that is moving towards having the family present because mm -hmm. it gives them a peace of mind that you're not just doing these tests saying that the patient's mm -hmm. dead and then coming out and telling them um, but it does lead to some sticky situations. Um, one of the tests is the apnea test. So when the patient's on the ventilator, um, we pre-oxygenate them. So it means we pump up their oxygen levels before, and then we, uh, draw what's called a blood gas. So get some blood from their arterial. And so we have that as a baseline. Then we disconnect the patient from the ventilator. Um, we're able to give them some oxygen, um, Via usually we'll put um, like a cannula in the tube that's poking out so that they're getting some levels. Um, but what we're waiting for um, within a certain period of time is for the patient to take a breath. Now, this is where you essentially have all eyes on the chest mm -hmm. because if this patient takes one breath, then they're not brain dead. Mm -hmm. um, and we are allowing family to be present, but this becomes one of those things where someone's like, hey, I think I saw the chest move. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to make sure all the healthcare workers are like diligently watching this chest. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most memorable times I remember this, um, the entire family, like 30 people was in the room and they're all slapping this patient and screaming at him and yelling and folks are praying and like so this is quite that's a circus and how can you know up, if the chest is gonna to wake move up. With so we literally had to be like the healthcare people had to be like at the bedside mm -hmm. like to watch the chest but this is all occurring in the background and 
he didn't breathe, but it's just one of those things where you're, it can get because if your brain weighed. did, then you you can't breathe because our brain controls every single function in our body. Mm-hmm. Right, not live without. But it just brain goes back activity. to people saying like, "Hey, I see he's still got this mm-hmm. heart rate, and I see exactly with these machines he's still doing this." So it's kind I just of don't understand. It's, yeah, it's it's important for them to see that. Hey, normally you would take a breath after over five minutes, over ten sure. minutes, you mm-hmm. should breathe, and so it's something that helps. A lot of the brain scans we do, um, you can do like an EEG and things like that, but sometimes they'll get um, perfusion scans to kind of push it to that next step to show that there's no blood flow to the brain, things like that. Wow. But I think it's helpful for the patients to see these, or the families to see these scans. A lot of times that kind of puts in their mind like, hey, it's a big dark space up here where their brain's supposed to be like that's not good that makes it mm-hmm. real so mm-hmm. it makes i think it is helpful mm-hmm. um for people to see that so i i think it's a good thing that they have moved towards that with the family being present mm-hmm. i think so too in those moments is there support there for that family because i think that might be the bigger um challenge not telling them that this person is gone and we've done everything but them actually being able to process it. You know, it's one thing to see it, but it's another thing to take that in and really let that kind of stuff. Typically, you'll always have, like, the chaplain there. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of people will want their personal um, Mm -hmm. minister there as well, which sometimes is helpful, sometimes not. Um, But as many people as you have there is, like, even staff sometimes will, like, will all kind of go in there and kind of gather around to, like, because people faint and mm-hmm. lots of tough lots of stuff. So okay, so we kind of talked about what did you have something wrong? Mm-hmm. Okay, we kind of talked about what organ donation is. Basically, the process of taking an organ from someone else and giving it to a compatible match or um, living person, and what happens, what those tests and things like that are. Can you talk about what some of those? tests are that say you're a match not a match whoever Uh, yeah i was like um yeah i can it since you actually had family member that went through that you can speak to that part and then i can jump in because i don't like talking so much this is only a podcast like kind of a talk show where that's what you do like for a long time I mean, good to talk about like you know and you know how the process goes, you know when the team comes in or whatever. Okay, so uh, kind of on the scenarios like before, whether the patient is a donor via their license or the family kind of is like, okay, we're okay, give it the blessing to go ahead with donation. Uh, at that point, like usually, um, a team member from the um, transplant network will come now these the names of them vary from state to state so the ones i was most familiar with are different mm-hmm. than the ones here we, in indiana we have the indiana donor network yeah and um and at home it was midwest donor network so either way it's the same same people same thing so um once they come on site uh typically at that time since the patient has been pronounced at that time they ask Usually the family will leave at that point, um, which I think is a lot easier on the family uh, at that point because then we start to do like a lot more um, with blood testing. We start to do different therapies to kind of keep the organs best perfused as possible. Um, What does that mean? 
perfused. Mm-hmm. Um, to keep kind of the best blood flow going to those organs so that they can be alive. Kind of the best um, organs to give to their potential um, recipients. So a lot of times this consists of things like proning the patients, flipping them over so that the lungs can get the best perfusion. Um, we start a lot of different drips, um, different medications that continually infuse so that the organs can get their best um kind of the best work that we can from them um and so then at that time the donors network um staff they come on site and they have the lists um which is like the most heartbreaking thing to me to see to ask i asked one one time to pull it up for me just to see how many people are on there and it's crazy to me that she she just kept scrolling, wow. and there's just so many people waiting. And For organs, you mean? Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And just this, I can't remember which organ she had pulled up, but she had lists for each different like mm-hmm. hearts, lungs, mm-hmm. and so many people. And um, so they then begin the compatibility um, testing, and so they will match kind of based on like body size, uh, age. Of course, the blood testing to make sure that it's compatible. Um, so they try to get the best organ for the potential recipient that they can. Um, and then kind of from there, once they find a match, they are the blessed people that get to call these people, wake them up in the middle of the night and tell them, hey, we found you a kidney. Hey, we found you along. And these people are like so happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a... I don't know. It's a bittersweet moment because you have another family that's grieving, but you have another family that has potentially a new lease on life. Um, And then we essentially get the patient um, as ready as we can. And then they go to the operating room. Um, And I've been a part of uh, a few of those um, operations and, it's always nice when the um, physician, sometimes they'll do a prayer. And so we'll just thank the patient for their um, gift That's and nice. then mm-hmm. kind of proceed from there. And kind of a cool process. Sometimes it'll be interstate. Um, so different physicians will fly in, kind of do their part, take mm-hmm. that organ, and they'll fly out. So it's, it's a very streamlined um, process, and it's... It's helpful, but it is sad at mm-hmm. the same time. So. High highs and low lows. Yeah. I could imagine. So. <laughs> so there are um, three different types of um, transplants. There are directed transplants where maybe a family member is in need of a new liver or a kidney and they have a family member who can direct a portion of their liver or one of their kidneys directly to the other family member. The other type is non-directed. That's the type where you're on a list. Maybe you're on your, um, you know, your state's list in order to get a new heart and lungs or to get a new liver because there's no one in your immediate circle who is compatible to give you one of their organs. So you have to get on the list. That is called non-directed transplant. And then they have paired transplants where you might have um, a mother and a daughter, a father and a son. The son and the daughter may need kidneys, and the mother and the father want to give their kidney, but they are not a match for their own child, but they may be a match for one another. And so then the 
doctors or the coordinators of the transplant um, state, what, what do you call it? This Indiana, Indiana Donor Network. Indiana Donor mm-hmm. Network. They're, they may be able to pair these families together where um, the mother is able to give uh, another, another family's son her kidney and the oh, father okay. then gives her daughter his kidney and so everybody gets a kidney um, and they're paired that way because they're they, they're willing to donate but they just don't they're not compatible with their own family member okay. I think that's really cool, it is um, cool. to be willing to creative. do that it is creative okay. and it's a nice way to make sure everybody kind of gets what they need if you're a willing mm-hmm. person to be a living donor that's called being a living donor mm-hmm. um, which we didn't talk about that mm-hmm. um, yeah. Tiffany kind of already covered the, the other type yes and so if you are able to there's certain organs that we can donate kind of like you may donate blood um, there's certain other organs that you can donate um, like a kidney, we only really need one kidney. We can survive without a kidney because we have two. And also the liver, if you have a person who has um, liver disease, um, you're able to give a portion of your liver because your liver will regenerate itself. It'll grow again to a healthy state and you can give a, the portion of your liver to somebody who has liver disease and you both get to live. You don't have to die to so give a portion of your liver. Um, those are two of the most common Living do transplants. people do skin too sometimes? I know you can give a skin graft from your own body. Mm-hmm. I have not like heard of giving um, skin, you know, directed or and mm-hmm. I've not heard of that being done. But I know you can do it mm-hmm. from your own skin. Mm-hmm. That's possible. And I think I think there's something they're doing new research where you can they can actually grow skin for you. Um, this is another like stem cell type sure. thing, but they can take some cells and start to grow the grafts mm-hmm. for people that don't have that they can grow. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of burn victims yeah, have to have. Sure. Skin. That was grafts. a mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff happening with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, that's where stem cell research gets a little tricky because mm-hmm. it can be so beneficial, so good. Mm-hmm. ethically beneficial, mm-hmm. but then it can get it's a slippery ethically slope ugly into too. yeah, it can mm-hmm. get ugly very quickly. So. Um, there are also um, blood type incompatible donations. Uh, my dad actually was able to have one. I believe the only type of organ donation that you can do and be blood incompatible is a kidney. That's actually the type of donation that my dad had. Um, he needed a kidney, long-term diabetic. So kidneys were shot mm-hmm. from, from being a diabetic for most of his life. And um, my sister actually was able to give him, they were not a blood match, blood type match, but she was able to give him one of her kidneys. Um, He was one of the first people in the nation to undergo this type of, um, it was very kind of experimental at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, he was on his, you know, desperate for a kidney, trying to prolong his life. And so my sister was a willing participant. She gave him one of her kidneys. Um, Of course, he has to be under close watch because the likelihood of rejection, we didn't really talk about that very much yet. But when you get an organ, um, when you're a recipient of of another person's organ, your body can reject the organ because it's it's foreign in your body, even if it's a total match for your body. So when it's just imagine if it's not a match, um, you have to take lots of um, anti-rejection medications. Um, my dad has to go um, every couple of years to the um, transplant 
doctor to make sure things look well. He has to constantly get his um, kidney levels checked and all that stuff. So, but it's possible, and I think that's really cool because it really kidneys are a very very common organ that people <laughs> need to receive. That's why we have dialysis clinics all mm-hmm. over. Several, I mean, most cities have several several dialysis clinics, and that's because people need kidneys so badly because um, we don't drink enough water. We do torture to our kidneys. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so um, I think that was a, a great idea, whoever thought of that, um, because it really opened the door for more people to receive a kidney mm-hmm. um, if they get one that's not a match for them. So I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you have personal experience, and I was just going to tell about one of my friends who her um, daughter became sick or ill at maybe like. A year and a half, 18 months or something like that. Um, And she thinks that she received a medication that harmed her liver. And so much so to the point where she had to be airlifted from um, a different state to Cincinnati. And she received a liver transplant there. And like Ryan said, the liver is um, a great organ because it can heal itself. It can regenerate. And so she received a portion of someone else's liver and she's 16 today. So... Um, I know that for her, if she had not received that transplant, she would not be alive. Like she would have died and she would have died at a very, very young age. Um, So I'm grateful for organ donation in that respect. We were talking about some of the ethics. um, So we can either talk about that. We can I feel like that's like a perfect segue into some of the ethics surrounding organ donation and like stem cell research and things like that, you know, people doing things to cause certain, you know, donation situations to happen faster or slower or whatever. So um, let's go ahead and speak on that a little bit. Let's talk about the reasons that you could not be a donor because there are certain things that can prevent you from being a donor. Um, if you have any acute illnesses, even if you are a donor, even if you yourself say, I want to be a donor, it's on your license and everything else. If you have acute illnesses, um, if you have HIV or hepatitis, communicable disease, yeah, Yeah. those are things that would prevent you, um, cancer. Now with the hepatitis, they're actually starting to, um, accept some organs with patients that have. Now, I know HIV, too. If you are an HIV-positive person, recipient, Mm -hmm. you can receive an Mm HIV-positive organ. So that may be why they're... Is that what you're saying? If you have hepatitis, then you could potentially still be a donor to somebody who Mm -hmm. is also positive for hepatitis? And in some situations, um, depending on kind of the dire situation of the need... Because um, some people now can live with hepatitis and be treated with That's medications, mm-hmm. so they're actually really doing that. Okay, yeah. and like, it's. I mean, would you rather have a failing heart or hepatitis? And it's kind well, of one of those things um, because they need the organ so badly that they're wow. kind of broadening what organs are acceptable which was one of those things because for us we had this list of stuff when you call mm-hmm. you gotta say like what yes mm-hmm. what um diagnoses they the have and uh-huh. so now they're starting to um okay. of course it's something okay. that they let the potential recipient be aware of, of. course they would have to um yeah. but i mean some people are like hey whatever here it is i want to live you wow live. Okay. so yeah cancer i know cancer and um mm-hmm. diabetes are also two of the 
diseases that they say no to if you would like to be a donor. So things to keep in mind Mm -hmm. if you, you know. There has to be some standards, just like you said, donating blood. Mm-hmm. You're like, everybody cannot donate blood. Yep. But I do I do appreciate the fact that they do allow um, HIV positive, mm-hmm. um, you know, positive to positive donations because that it's can sensible. extend life mm-hmm. for somebody who is in need. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. It's sensible. To know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, something else, too, that, and I haven't had a lot of experience with this, but in my own personal experience, if we have um, neonates or babies who die, we also call to see if they are candidates. Most of our babies who die are rejected just because of, um, one, they're small, and a lot of times their organs aren't useful unless you have a baby that's a little bit bigger or whatever. Two, you don't know exactly the time of death if they died in utero. Um, but we do call on all of our babies just to make sure I guess we've covered all the bases as far as the donor part of it but yeah cool so yeah any kind of ethical situations you've been caught in the middle Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes several um but again it's just kind of one of those things with nursing where there's a lot of gray areas sometimes sometimes you would think that it would be just oh they make check 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 this and then there's some uh, random hold up um, but I think the most pertinent kind of new information that's kind of sticky that most everyone is kind of aware of is the stem cell okay. research um, and kind of the ethical dilemma here is that we not we ourselves but kind of science is um, growing these embryos for the process of specifically taking XYZ organ from them Um, And a lot of people have a problem with this because it's like you're essentially starting a life to take the life just Mm -hmm. for an organ. Or I've heard of them taking the cells of an embryo because they are so um, healthy and rapidly divide. They take it and then like make another organ from that. Mm -hmm. So if it's not growing a an embryo or baby for the organ, it's taking from the baby to grow an organ. And so there's a lot of so are you talking about maybe aborted embryos? Is that what you're speaking of? I have no idea oh, where okay. they get this from. Okay. I don't know where they get the tissue from. Of course, there is some talk surrounding that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, and we talked about that in our Planned Parenthood segment where shift where um, they are using some of those aborted babies to do exactly what we're discussing. Mm-hmm. I cannot speak to on record mm-hmm, I'm just sure. talking about what I heard <laughs> you know what okay. I'm saying I don't want nobody coming after me I ain't got for you to take anyway but you know I'm just saying what I heard um, what are some of the fears around organ donation I know a lot of people um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a fear but I know a lot of people have spiritual conflicts with organ donation a lot of people uh, I mean I've heard of so many different types of spiritual conflicts some um, religions do not uh, permit you to receive blood transfusions or organ donation Um, some people feel that there is a spirit a soul attached to Mm -hmm. the organ and so if you then accept the organ then you're accepting every spirit maybe spirits that have haunted this person or then you yourself may be haunted um, by the spirits that are attached to this organ Um, some people 
just are not sure how God feels about organ donation. Some people feel like getting an organ um, goes against the natural God's order of, of God's will, right? Mm-hmm. God, the process of life. Maybe this person is supposed to die of heart failure. That's God's will for that person. So to give them a new heart and lungs would be going against God's will. And so some people just feel torn about, um, especially when it comes to if they're a very spiritual person or a very religious person, they may feel a little bit of um, conflict about if it's something that is okay or if how God feels about it. So I know that to be true uh, in among various cultures and various mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. We definitely ask about that on admission. Like if, if there's something that happened and we need to give you blood products in order to save your life, mm-hmm. is that okay? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever. And Rarely, but um, we do get patients who are like, nope, nope, mm-hmm. under no circumstances do I want a blood transfusion, no blood products, nothing like, nope, nope, nope. They can have I'm medications, good. but they can't, they don't want to take except blood. So, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. There are people who feel that way. I feel there's a lot of, it's kind of like the um, jinx phenomenon. A lot of people feel like once they sign up mm-hmm. to be a donor, that this some type of situation will happen Mm -hmm. and then they will be an organ donor i've i've had a lot of people say that like i didn't i don't want to do it because i feel like as soon as i do something will happen final destination Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and it's a that's a large amount of people that Mm -hmm. is I kind of was one of those people. Um, I mean, now that you planted that seed, <laughs> I had that thought. I did it like I did it before, this, just now. This is something that I would battle with because I would see so many young people come in with all this stuff happening. So, man, as soon as I sign up to be a donor, I'm gonna be up in here, and that's gonna be me. And like, yeah, it was a very internal battle for me for a long time because I would see it so much. I was like, I I know this can happen, and mm-hmm. I feel like. That would be one of the things. And a lot of people, too, think if they're a donor, as soon as they hit the ED, nobody's going to try to save them. Mm-hmm. If they know they're a donor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. My mother would say that to me, especially when I was young and getting my permit and getting my driver's license. Obviously, I went with my parent and <laughs> they would ask this question, you know, when you're getting your license in front of your parent. Do you want to be a donor? And I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. And she's like, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> and I'm looking at her like, but what's the big deal? And we're having this whole, you know, back and forth conversation at the DMV <laughs> instead of me just celebrating getting my license because she, <laughs> she like, felt like drive. that. Yeah, she felt like, you know, if you're in an accident or something like that and she wasn't even thinking like once you make it to the hospital she thought on the scene if you're in an accident people won't um work really hard to save you and i mean once i'm like in my career i'm thinking how often are people like on the scene looking for your id i mean of course they're looking to identify you at some point but it's like let's stabilize you on the scene and for right now your name is jane or john doe correct you know and whatever measures need to be um taken or exhausted to save you i believe that they will do that in those circumstances especially like in a trauma center and for the way that our society processes death and then you're adding a whole other dimension to it with organ donation this is never a good or happy situation for anyone the caregiver is also 
the person. And like you said, Tiffany, it is very difficult to be in these situations and not place yourself on that table, in that bed. You know what I'm saying? Even it's just, as a family member, you yeah. become you see like this scenario playing out with your family right. or you're in the bed like you said or you're one of the loved ones it, it it is easy to transpose and a lot of times people think that we become harsh and we become cold um but a lot of people don't see like after this has happened how many of us go and hide in the break room right and go or break hug down and hold each in other the, and yeah. Like there's so much of that that goes on. And a lot of people think that we're tough and and sometimes we are, but sometimes we're not. And, and there's so, a lot of crying. A sometimes lot. we have to put on that face for the family. Mm-hmm. We can't be breaking down in the, you know, patient's room. So that's why we appear to be mm-hmm. <laughs> emotionless or, or at least cold. There's that that thought that, you know, you got to be strong for the family. I found Um, in my own practice that there are times where it's appropriate to let those guards down and if it's someone who you really have bonded with like you Tiff if you're taking care of someone in the ICU you've seen that family over and Mm -hmm. over and over again and you have built a relationship and it does like anyone who who is human and I think we are wired that way on purpose because it um, brings us closer together it makes us connect um And I have cried with my patients before who have lost a baby. And, you know, I didn't think of myself of any less professional or more. Now, if you are sobbing, that's That's what I was getting That's what I'm breaking down. Right. 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 If you sobbing and you like, (laughs) more than the family, and you are not trailing. It has. I understand that it happens. I was like, it has happened. I understand that it happens. But I feel like when it comes to a point where the family is supporting you, and that you know what I'm saying like it is time for you to excuse yourself and but there are times where you're going to have those moments where your emotions do kind of get the best of you or you um respond in a way that you didn't necessarily see that happening so yeah that's definitely my mother would say it all the time you don't want to be an organ owner they won't save you and there's a heart on my license right now and I didn't think anything of it um, but I know that that was that is a big big fear, um, especially um, among people of color and Black people, because a lot of times we do feel um, like uh, we're left out and that no one really cares. And like, say if you said, yeah, if something goes on in the hood, you call the police, they come hours later. You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of times you do feel forgotten I think as especially as a black person and growing up when my mom did she saw it a lot you know where people didn't work to save you and so you know it made sense to her like why lend yourself (laughs) to this and you're already vulnerable so I know that's a huge fear and then I think people just don't think about being a donor a lot of times until you have somebody in your family who needs an organ. Mm-hmm. We walk around and we don't really think about it. We don't think about being a donor. Like I said, you don't think about how you being a donor could save somebody else's life until you're the one who needs something. And then you think, dang, <laughs> how come you, you know, 20th on the list? Because <laughs> there are not enough people who are donors, you mm-hmm. know? So, mm-hmm. do you guys have any like internal conflict as it pertains to organ donation? I mean, I know I 
have conflict as far as like people who I've heard about getting organ after organ after organ after organ, no matter the means. I feel like, like, really, is there a stopping point like that? I think that part of it kind of raises some um, suspicion in my mind about this whole process and how we're going about it as uh, medical professionals. You like where does the ethics board come into play at that point? Like, what kind of doctors do you have taking care of you that's going to put the fifth heart in you? You know what I'm saying? Ones especially, that you pay very well. Right. Especially if you're doing <laughs> something to... Yeah, especially if you are doing something to cause your heart to fail. If you snorting lines of coke every day and because you have the money to do it, is it, that is one of my personal like things about organ donation and stuff like that and organ stealing, of course is a big controversial thing um, where bodies have been found, mostly black bodies, empty, you know, and, and kids a lot of times, like teenagers, mm-hmm. have been found and their bodies are stuffed with newspaper. Like, it's just, that's one of my things that I hang my hat on. I definitely think that there's more good happening with it, but again, it's just kind of addressing that slippery. Um, I think a lot of the distrust um with the especially the black community kind of leads to why people uh refuse to be a donor and it was kind of something that we knew um at work like if it was a black family that kind of had a traumatic death a lot of times there would be question of whether uh, we should get kind of the if they would even be receptive to that Mm. to even bring those people on site and a lot of times we would we would already know that they would they were already not wanting to hear any type of conversation about donation or anything like that and I I feel like a lot of that goes back to old stuff that um happened kind of in the past and then even new things that happen um that cause more distrust to cut a lot of the experimentation that went on with black people Mm. um past and present mm-hmm. um and then also i was thinking of the movie get out i don't know if you guys have seen it or not yep, but so essentially uh that movie they are taking black people's bodies and they are putting um the older white people that want to be a certain trait again like faster or vision again they're putting them into the black bodies and so it kind of brings up kind of a, a horror kind of take on this type of thing but um for many years that type of thing was real they were taking the black bodies to experiment to see why certain things happened a certain way or Mm -hmm. just wanted to see if our brains were really the Mm -hmm. same size Mm -hmm. as white um brains and so i i get the fear because it makes sense it's Mm -hmm. like you guys are playing playing with us even after death again Mm -hmm. so i i understand but I think there just needs to be a lot more education so that people can see the benefit of it. Because uh, for me personally, if I'm dead and gone, what am I gonna do with? Take it? my stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can't do anything with it. So help somebody else. Uh, but I feel like a lot of people just have to kind of get a little bit more education so that they can even be open to having that conversation. Mm-hmm. I personally hope that I have used my organs <laughs> until the last drop, until they can't be used by anybody else ever, like by the time I'm dead. To me, that will say that I have 
done with this body what I could do I've pushed it to the limit you know what I'm saying but I I do want to be an organ um donator donor whatever you want to call it um because I'm gonna be on like you Tiff I'm like I don't care I don't want a funeral I want to be cremated and I'm going on record to say that and it, it costs too much to cremate me. Leave me at the hospital. It don't even matter to me. I'm oh, okay. I'm gone. She want to be one of the unclaimed. <laughs> or, I mean, donate my body to science. Whatever. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? I am gone. So, yeah. Anything else we didn't cover? I think we covered a lot of ground, though. Talked about a lot. Um, I just want to briefly talk about pediatric donation. A lot of children, you talked about your friend's daughter who ended Mm -hmm. up needing a transplant at a very young age. And it can be really hard to prepare a child for such a major um, surgery. And so there are resources for parents of children who need transplants. And I just, um, I even saw that they have camps for children Mm -hmm. who like Mm post-transplant so that they can learn to... Um, you know, the rehabilitation kind of camp so they can learn how to play again and how to take care of their uh, transplanted organ and all that stuff. So I found a list of camps in every state on the UNOS website. UNOS is United Network for Organ Donation. So if you just type that into any Google or any search engine, you can click on pediatric donation or pediatric transplant and they have a list of camps for parents and so I just want to make sure we don't leave out I'm a maternal child health nurse (laughs) and so I never want to leave out the mamas and babies and the families and so um everybody who needs an organ isn't old and feeble some people are young very very young and so I just wanted to make sure I put you know make sure we leave something for the mamas and babies so I feel like a lot of times though in situations like this the kid takes it better than the family the kid is usually like oh Okay, you know what I'm saying? Because they're resilient. Children are so resilient. Right. And ignorance is bliss. You know, a lot of stuff they just don't get, which is great. For them, it's a protective sort of thing. So these families need lots and lots of support. They do. Um, Because I could just see, I just pictured in my mind a mom just really going through it, stressed out. And if she has other kids and... Working full-time, I couldn't either. I can't imagine being a mom who works full-time, who has three daughters. I cannot imagine having a child who needed an organ. An organ. Not even just the surgery. Not imagine. Because this is a lifelong Mm -hmm. um, feat. Yeah, and a lot of times they may outgrow an organ or a lot of times they may need multiple transplants they may you know get one when they're really small they need another one in eight years need another one in adulthood i mean yeah it's a lifelong thing that a lot of children may go through sometimes the organ can grow with them but sometimes they may need it replaced so Mm -hmm. yeah that could be tough so resources available for you Um, i'm sure your state has local resources for you and then the unos um, the united the kind of the overseer of national transplants mm-hmm. um, they have many many resources for you too so mm-hmm. and ask your caregivers especially at a time where you're actually receptive to that information a lot of times there's so many moving parts in the hospital yes. that education doesn't really get in so mm-hmm. when you're ready to you know or if you feel like you need some help ask ask people for help and yes. resources and stuff like that no crime in asking for help Mm-mm. we we all need it Mm-hmm. I know I need, I need it right now. Time. <laughs> I need help right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I ain't needed it. Okay, um, <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to our nurse's notes. Mm-hmm. And our nurse's notes are going to be um, some additional information that doesn't necessarily have to do with organ donation, but things that are part of um, life <laughs> situations as it pertains to what to do for yourself while you're living and directions and ways that you can support your own family and in letting them know what your wishes are. So Ryan, you wanna go first? I would like to go first. So I'm gonna start with the story. So when I was in nursing school, um, I don't know what class this was, we had to do this, but one of my big, big projects that was a big, huge part of our grade for, I can't remember what class it was, but anyway, um, we had to write our eulogy. Oh, that as was part of strange, the, it but. was we had to write our whole entire like the obituary, we had to make an obituary and write a eulogy. And so um, it was so hard for me. Like I it was so very hard for me. I was like, could not. I'm a young person. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? I like cried about it. Um, and then we had to present it to the class. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was the reasoning for this? Because I need to getting know. in, I'm gonna get to it. Okay. Um, and so I, anyway, I got through it. I muffled through it. <laughs> Ended up getting an A plus on it. It was because it was so emotional for me. I like really had to think about well, what the hell do I want? And so that was the purpose. The purpose was um, that we need to have hard conversations. We need to start having hard conversations. Um, no matter what age you are. So even me, being a 33-year-old woman, young, old ass, is that what you're going to mouth? Is what you're going to say? You're going to say I'm old? That's that cool. wasn't me. That's cool, Tosh. She just mad at so right. elder. She mad because she's the oldest one up in here. That's what she mad about. It's cool. Anyway. <laughs> old ass. That's cool. Anyhow, um, even me being 33 and very, very young, um, I need to start thinking about what wishes I might have, what things I might want. In the event that I cannot speak to the physician about what I want to happen to me, I need to start talking to the people closest to me. Mm-hmm. What, do I want, what do I want to happen to my children? Um, do I want people to, you know, be banging out CPR and pushing all kind of drugs in the event that my heart stops? Or, you know, how long do I want to live, if at all, on a ventilator? All these things that I need to, even your funeral. What the hell do you want? Do you want a funeral? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Do you want, you know, what do you want? And so that was the purpose of the assignment. And so it really started, it made me have to have hard conversations with myself about, what do I want and furthermore it made me start to have to begin to have to have hard conversations with my family Um, and so in turn they're weird because I would just randomly send texts like if I die this is what I want if I die that is so morbid they thought I was so morbid but I was like no real life like and now what do you want because the last thing a family member wants is to have a sudden death and they're left, they're already left with the responsibility of having to take care of all of your final affairs and having to make maybe the decisions on your behalf in terms of your health care, planning a funeral, all these things. It's a lot to do. It would be so much easier if you already knew what the hell to do. Oh, she wants this. She wants to wear this. She wants to, you know, have this done. She wants, you know, to have that done. It would be so much easier. And so um, my family, we begin, we've begun to have these conversations and to... I mean, sharing our passwords with each other, Facebook and email and, um, you know, bank account stuff like and that is so important. And so I encourage you, my nursing notice to just really encourage everybody 
Have the hard conversations. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to die tomorrow, but just think about the people you leave behind will have such an easier time coping. They can actually grieve mm-hmm. because they then don't have to think about what would she want? What would he want to do? What, what should we do? You know, they already know. And so have those hard conversations. They're hard conversations to have. People might cry. People might get emotional, but they are so very important because life isn't promised. Tomorrow's not promised to any of us. And so you want to be as prepared in every single way possible. I think particularly, too, that's a big problem in the black community. Like, how many times have you heard about a person dying and the family having notice mm. or them being close to death and there's zero preparation at all? And then situations, you know, this person doesn't end up getting in the ground until two weeks later. Get your ass some life insurance. We talking about like like, then there's that. But like even famous people like James Mm -hmm. Brown and the family is feuding and Mm -hmm. he was above ground for like six months after he died. And even if he had those things written out, his family still couldn't get it together. Mm -hmm. So for me and my nurses know do um, what your loved one would want and honor their legacy, you mm-hmm. know, because a lot of times those things can be stated and people are emotional mm-hmm. and they feel like they want to do something else or, you know, it's a tug of war at a time where it's already very tough. So have compassion for um, yourself and your family member. And if you truly want to honor your loved one, like you say you do, this would this wouldn't be what, you know, mama wanted or whatever, then actually do what that person has stated that they wanted done and take the guesswork out of it for yourself. Especially if, like Ryan said, it's hard enough to get to that point where you can talk about it and have this conversation. Like, I could imagine that no parent wants to go to their kids and be like, okay, so in the event of my death, this is what I want. And like lay that out line by line. And, you know, or you're getting older and you tell your kids, come to the house and get whatever it is you want. You know what I'm saying? Like that is an odd situation to be in. And so if your parent, loved one, whoever has had the strength to actually bring that to you, it is your responsibility then to honor what it is they said they wanted and not fight and bicker, you know, over money, things, whatever. And I feel like most of the time it's just a representation or a manifestation of how people grieve. And during this time, you know, you might have somebody who is otherwise very sensible turn into a raging lunatic because of the way that they grieve. And so, you know, I would invite everybody to A, have the conversation like Ryan said, and B, um, show some compassion for each other and see honor your loved one's legacy and carry out what it is that they wanted. You I'm going to piggyback on what you're saying and, and encourage um, when you do have this conversation, you know, with your family members, have it with more than one person. You may have one person who's in charge of your affairs, but you need to, let's say you have four children. You know, you might have the oldest, you know, in charge of your affairs, but have the conversation, have everybody at at the same place at the same time listening to the same thing. Because so often 
a cause for the fighting is that the sibling says, well, mama says she wanted this or daddy said he wanted that. And the siblings are like, yeah, right. That he would have never said that. Ago. Or why would he yeah. want to do that? They weren't even present for the conversation or mama or daddy. They're having four different conversations with each child and, you know, have everybody at the same place at the same time. Even if you're just going to have one of them in charge of your affairs, that's fine. Lay it all out to everybody. That would decrease a lot of bickering, too, mm-hmm. I think. And if there's um, some changes, update your family on what those you changes should update. are. Because mm-hmm. somebody might, well, 20 years ago, Daddy wanted da-da-da-da. Right. Well, uh, yesterday, when I was the one here caring for him while he was dying, he said he wanted something different. Yeah. And so that can cause a lot of confusion and make that transition a lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, I would just add to um, the conversations, uh, how you were saying that, parents typically don't just like randomly spring these combos on you well my parents did Mm. we were just riding somewhere i was riding somewhere with them and they both launched into full funeral plans like wishes at the hospital like everything and um i wasn't ready because um, I was just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good to have those conversations. The only thing I would add to it is make sure it's written down. Yes. Um, a lot of times, like you guys are saying, uh, when it's this type of scenario, everybody is losing their minds. Nobody remembers anything exactly. Um, so it's important to get that type of conversation written down and to update it. Like Tasha said, a lot of people will have what's called an advanced directive and also let me go into this there's different types yeah so a lot of people will say oh i had an advanced directive and we go and pull up the file and it's like something financial um so a lot of people yeah, don't realize that there's will correct there's like living wills there's directive for your finances but there's also directives for your health care and when you're having these discussions, also include that type of stuff. Like, I, I don't want to be on the ventilator. I don't want to have a feeding tube. I don't want, um, and you can also do um, code status is a very important conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This gets so sticky and convoluted. Um, there's And so when I say code status, this applies to you being uh, in the hospital setting, and it can apply outside as well. So there's um, full code. So this is pretty much we find you down. We're going to do everything to save you. Everything? Everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Mm-hmm. And we will not stop. So you can code. We'll do it again. Code. We'll do it again. We will do this for hours um, until someone says no more. Now, they're getting to be, which we don't like in the ICU, there's getting to be partial coats. Mm-hmm. And, um, which is counterintuitive. Which is why we get mad, because it doesn't make sense. So people can now request, I want compressions, but no medications. Yep. Or I want meds, but no compressions. Or I want compressions, but no breathing tube. Now, to explain what happens when you code, you need all of these elements. And compressions mm-hmm. are like, it's basic CPR, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, if you want us to push the dregs, we've got to be able to circulate the drugs. So, we've got to compress your chest. And if you don't want to have a brain injury due to no oxygen, we've got to be able to put the breathing tube in. So, a lot of times, these partial code, um, it sounds good. But it usually does not give the um, 
situation that the family would think it's not because it, it doesn't really work out. And then, of course, there's the DNR, which is, and they're changing the terminology to this as well. So what? So now? before it was no code blue, now it's <laughs> not resuscitate. Right, and then it's like then there's becoming DNAR. So do not attempt resuscitation, and so it's everything constantly changes so mm-hmm. make sure you stay up to date with what the changes are but with the dnr we simply let nature take its course so if we see things are starting to kind of go downhill we won't do anything to stop that process mm-hmm. um and to me personally i think that is the best way to go me myself personally <laughs> me myself personally i think that is the best way to go um seeing codes it's not pretty it's not what you see on tv um it's not it's not neat it's not quick it's um, not polite i was gonna say it hurts it's violent yeah. it yeah. is violent yeah. we we are cracking ribs mm-hmm. there's blood there's mm-hmm. all types of secretions everywhere and it's not pretty and um a lot of people don't understand that when we're doing this on a 90 year old that is more detrimental than mm-hmm. to just let that person go. Um, and a lot of times these people, they didn't want it anyway. So that just kind of brings it full circle to just share to everybody your wishes. Yes. Write it down so that in those situations where people can't remember what you said, it's in writing. It's mm-hmm. in black and white right there, what mom or dad wanted. And that helps helps so much. Mm-hmm. Helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Any information on the go? I think that was really good. Lots of good information. Um, And keep in mind, you can have these conversations, like Ryan said, no matter how old you are. You can have a living will. You can have a um, an advanced directive and all of these things, these documents, you can type it up on your computer. You can put it on your phone and make a note or whatever. And that will serve as in writing. You can get on legal Zoom. And create these documents if you want them to be like notarized and you know print them off take them to the notary and all of that kind of stuff um but the biggest take home here is just let your family know what it is you want and your loved ones and those people who are around you just don't don't lead them out there just you know guessing and um being in their emotions at the time because you'll never find a person more emotional than someone who just lost um, someone who's really near and dear to them, you can't expect that they will think critically or rationally. If they do, you're surprised, but most of the time, they they aren't. Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality. Now it's probably our favorite time <laughs> in the show. <laughs> where we talk about I am all glad of these to things. get off of this heavy yes, topic. It was. Oh my. It was pretty dark, but good information. It was pretty dark. <laughs> it was pretty dark. You know, we hadn't had one of these kind of sticky ones. Why do y'all give me the topics where we, you know, can't play? And so I did the Planned Parenthood thing to myself, but. Yep, you sure did. Actually, the margaritas did it to me. Um, did it to us. <laughs> did it to us. But yeah, what time is it to? Language lack. Yay! Oh, you got it. <laughs> so wacky. Man, this pain medicine, y'all be messing this one up. It is uh, a miracle worker. I think I had some of this before. It is delicious, but it is not called Delauda. 
Delota. Delada. Delala. Delala. That's that might be what you say after you've had it. Delala. Let me get some of that Delala. Delota. That, yeah, it's, no. it's not. It's delauded. Delauded. Mm-hmm. Delauded with a D at the with end. With a D. Mm-hmm. A delauded. Like candy dick. <laughs> don't you know what? Don't do that. Oh, Katie did is what I was trying to get out. Oh. Like the candy, but you know, mm-hmm. I messed that one Clean up. But yeah, Clean it's it called delauded. Delauded. But you might not want to take that into your local ED. <laughs> As for by name, I'm gonna get ready to say. <laughs> you know you know like, the people who, if you know how to pronounce that word, they'd be like, mm, mm, "We questioning okay. everything you about you." Allergies to everything but, but it. <laughs> that's we the know one. you. That's, yeah. that's the most common. We know exactly. You know but that. I have allergies. What you allergic to? Fentanyl, morphine, <laughs> everything. <laughs> Toward all. You know I'm exactly the milligrams that work best. I'm allergic to Percocet. IV, please, IV. I'm allergic to Vicodin, Norco. Delauded. Usually they give me that that Delauda. <laughs> Delauded. Right. So y'all please stop messing Fix up. Fix it. Mm-hmm. Fix that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delauded. Delauded. All right. So. Hit it. Pew, 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 about spirituality and modern medicine so if you have any questions please send your questions to get sedated 705 at gmail.com you can hit us up on instagram at conscious underscore sedation on twitter at get sedated 705 and conscious sedation on facebook so make sure you guys like the posts like our episode Comment, rate, subscribe, anything else. Send us questions. Yeah, talk to us. We want to hear from you. Please, <laughs> please, please, please. Wow. Baby, please. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, y'all. Whoa. And and we out. See y'all later. Bye.